0: If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah 10. We find ourselves back in Zechariah uh, after a uh, a one Sunday uh, long break. Uh, Thankful to uh, Reverend John Rogers for uh, uh, preaching this last Sunday. Really uh, sticking with the sermon series, as it were. I hope that y'all caught on with that even as he was making mention of it. While you're opening up to Zechariah 10... Uh, just a quick reminder of the sermon series that we find ourselves in, because uh, this chapter, along with the first three verses of chapter 11, uh, really, uh, I think, uh, are a reminder of this series, which is homecoming and heart checks, serving God in the present. Uh, remember, uh, the, the people of God have come home. Uh, they were uh, away from home in exile in Babylon and elsewhere for uh, 70 years, and now they are back. And yet, even as they are home, something is not right, their hearts are not settled. Uh, it's quite Uh, a powerful message for the Christian, I believe, in the 21st century because sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that if we profess the Lord Jesus Christ with our mouths, that our hearts will all of a sudden be hunky-dory. All of the discontentment and suffering of the world will dissipate and disappear, and it will be a life of perfection, rainbows in the sky. And candy in the mouth sweet nothing sour or salty and yet for all of you in this room who have confessed the Lord Jesus surely this is not your experience and if it is my follow-up would be how long have you been believing not in a crass or cynical way but because this world is not as it should be the Lord Jesus has come and he has dealt the great blow to the Lord, or, uh, to the Lord of darkness. That is Satan and sin. Uh, that bondage that we had that we could not break free of. That need for salvation. Yes, with confession those things are taken care of. And yet we find ourselves still here on a journey. Uh, we are home, as it were, when we profess the Lord Jesus. And yet something sometimes just isn't right we're tugged and we're pulled by the things of this world by our own sin by our own circumstances into a place of such severe discontentment that we can do nothing else but identify ourselves as miserable are you miserable this morning and if you say no what do you tell people at work on monday What do you tell your family and how do you act with them if you were to set up a time schedule of all the things you spoke of and shared would it be more miserable more negative or more positive in sin it is so easy to fall into the negative category. It's not that necessarily we're all negative people or or, or that the world is kind of, it's over, right? We must accept defeat or something like that. But don't you feel it? And if you don't, can you feel the tug around you? What's that saying? Misery loves company. Are people pulling at you? Don't you feel it? The people of God here felt it. The people of God now, they feel it. I feel it. And God has a word for us. And it's Zechariah chapter 10 and then three verses in Zechariah 11. Here's our main point this morning. God gives real and lasting care to his people. And that real and lasting care can answer some of those questions I was just asking, some of those things perhaps many of you experience on a day-to-day basis, either, either from yourself or from without. Let me pray, and then we'll read God's Word together. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is in season, always, because you are a God of all things. You are the one who holds all things. You are the one who has planned all things. And so God, even as you led Zechariah along by your Holy Spirit to record such words for the people at that time, Lord, it is crazy to think and yet true that you had us at Centennial ARP Church in downtown Columbia in mind when you did this. And so, Lord, let it take effect in our very souls that we might be comforted and that we might be those who move, as uh, the Lord Jesus would tell us, as salt of the earth, to help others see that good news. God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Zechariah chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, From the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain. To everyone the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together." They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah. And I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen. For the glorious trees are ruined. Wail oaks of Bashan. For the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds. For their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions. For the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. The grass withers and the flowers, they do fade. But the word of the Lord remains forever. This word remains forever. In heaven, you will hold this word May we pay attention to it this morning, then. Remember our main point. God gives real and lasting care to his people. Three points to help us see this main one. Number one, true God versus false gods. Number two, true shepherd versus false shepherds. Number three, God's lasting blessing versus the false blessings of the world. First then, God's word here compares the true God versus the false gods. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Uh, False gods, that is idols, uh, that is uh, that which has been created and yet elevated by some human element into a deity standpoint. It can be uh, a, a named and fictitious deity like perhaps Uh, like what we would think of as a god right or maybe if you're familiar with like the greek uh, pantheon or it could be something Uh, we might idolize for instance uh, our uh, cellular devices where's mine at it's at the pulpit right i use it as an illustration but we all have them right most of us at least i know a few of you who are still holding strong Praise be to God. Uh, not to say that they're always idols, but uh, don't you feel that tug and pull, right? What do you check? You know, the answer, uh, the question, right? What do you check first thing in the morning, right? You know, pull that thing up. What's on? What's going on? You know, uh, you move through that. So idols or false gods could also be something as well as someone. And, and these false gods, what, whatever they are, be it something or, or someone, they are excellent at giving answers without substance, follow-through, or constancy. You know, as I meditated and and as I prayed on these first two verses, uh, trying to see how we might get it uh, uh, into our hands as God might allow, my mind was immediately drawn to what I was just mentioning. Our cell phones, our tablets, our TVs, our social media, and so on as an example of modern day household gods and how they can wrap us up and bind us up in their hold and grip. I thought it might help us connect with these verses. And yet, as I let these verses sit, as my old uh, seminary professor would say, as I ruminated Upon the word, that's what he would use. Uh, Have you ruminated on the word? If you're familiar with a cow chewing the cud or a camel, you see it going up and down. Have have you chewed the cud on this word a little bit, right? Uh, As I ruminated, well, my heart was drawn to the deeper reality. People. People. Including myself and y'all, by the way. People. The deeper reality... Of false gods. Beyond the gadgets, beyond the rhetoric, it's people always behind the curtains. It's people who create false gods. It's us who do such things. And the distinction made in these verses between the true God and false gods, it cannot be clearer. When we ask God for spring rain, which, by the way, in the Hebrew, spring rain is different than fall rain. Spring rain is new growth rain. Spiritually speaking, it's the budding of spirituality. When we ask God for for spring rain, for that rain that's going to help our seeds become little plants... What does he say in verse one? I'll give it. I'll answer every time. And he does. He does. The rainmaker. God himself. He gives us rain when we ask that spiritual growth that we so desperately crave, even, even though we might not know how to articulate that reality. When we rely on God, he never disappoints. Let me say it again. When we rely on the God of the universe, as he has called us to, over and over and over in his word, he will never, ever disappoint. Compare this to what we see next in verse 2. For the household gods utter, what? Nonsense. The diviners see lies. They tell false dreams. They give empty consolation. What happens then? The people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. God gives real and lasting care to his people. And here's the application before we move on. If you feel uncared for, are you leaning more on the true God of the universe for sustenance or more on the false gods of the world? Be that something or someone. Nowadays, are you more often content or more often discontent? However, you show that because it's different for every person. Where is your hope and stay? To whom are you looking? If you look to something that has many answers but no substance, your discontent will only grow until it boils over into severe effect in your life it might be happening right now but only you can answer that let's move on though for God has more for us second God's word compares the true shepherd versus the false shepherds. Because as we look to see who this true God is. And his his answering, his movement in this world. And these false gods that would seek to image this true God. And yet fall woefully short. We see God's movement. And we see what God's will is. And we see also, even from verse 2. That the people are suffering because of lack of shepherds. And this is the true shepherd that we're talking about, God himself. And so what's going on? Well, the reality is that it's not that the people are suffering for lack of shepherds because there are no shepherds, as in they do not exist. Rather, these shepherds that do exist, these leaders that are present, they have fallen short on their task of shepherding. They were not the good shepherd that is, Jesus Christ who was to come. They were not those good, as we say, under shepherds of the good shepherd, that is, those faithful spirit-led elders of the church. No, these false shepherds, these terrible leaders were those who would lead God's sheep away from God's pasture. We've got to be very careful in the modern-day church with connections so tight, not to estimate bad shepherds with poor communication, or disagreement, or frustration. That is not what makes a shepherd bad. What makes a shepherd bad is when they take the sheep by the leash and lead them from God's truth into the falsehoods of the world. If you look and you see that those who are leading you are not fully relying on that true God of the universe whose answers are substantive, then you are dealing with false shepherds and you must flee. And yet, alternatively, If you are dealing with sinful men and sinful women, yet who are fully relying on God, proclaiming the word of God, seeking to take the focus off of themselves and putting it on to God, then the Lord is surely working in that place. This is very important for the church of the 21st century because we have a conception of shepherds and it's okay to hold shepherds to account. It's actually more than okay. It's scriptural. It's called on even by a fellow elder, the Apostle Peter, in a letter to the churches. But these false shepherds here, they're not missing out on a phone call. They're calling and they're telling you not to believe in the Lord Jesus and it's terrible and it infuriates the Lord it makes him hot that's what the Hebrew says hot but notice what we see in verse 3 the Lord of hosts cares for his flock the house of Judah And God's means of care was then and is now to raise up those faithful, as we call it, under shepherds to that great, good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones who would follow after Jesus and his word and his call and his movement. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Uh, You notice in our text, uh, we see that the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah. How's he going to do it? Well, from the house of Judah, then comes the cornerstone. You see this elsewhere in the Psalms, and in other parts of the scriptures. That is, uh, by the way, a cornerstone. It's the stone that founds the foundation. It's the foundation of the foundation. The first one that is laid. From this same house of Judah, uh, we see in verse 4, comes the tent peg. That is, the righteous judgment like that which was held in the hands of Deborah the judge. Don't you remember the story? It can be a bit graphic. But she held a tent peg and a hammer and meted out the justice of God. From Judah, a battle bow rises up that pierces through heart-shaped stones and conquers powers and principalities that metal swords can never slay. This battle bow is not of this world. From Jesus, the good shepherd, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Then, verse 4 shows us, does every righteous ruler come? And because of that then, verse 5... They shall be like mighty men in battle trampling the foe in the mud of the streets they shall fight because the lord is with them and they shall put to shame the riders on horses the true shepherd versus the false shepherds it is a distinction that we must make in the time that we find ourselves in but we are not alone this has always been the case it is incumbent upon us to always see if we are ones who find ourselves within the care and tutelage of those true under shepherds holding fast to the word of God. Sin can come. Don't worry. The elders don't mind if I call them out. Uh, they know their sin just like they know mine. Where have y'all been if you think leaders are perfect? Nobody's perfect except for the Lord Jesus. But this reality this is what we strive for and we must hold on to, perhaps even more so in the coming decade. Thirdly, though, we go on. There can be seen a comparison between God's lasting blessing and the false blessings of this world. Chapter 10, verse 6, all the way through chapter 11, verse 3. And don't worry, it seems like a ton of, of, of verbiage, but you'll see it's actually pretty clear as we move through. Uh, who did you learn your craft from? Who'd you learn your trade from? What do you do? Who'd you learn it from? I'm not necessarily talking about schooling or degrees but, but it could be a professor, it could be a mentor like that that you found in school or, or in trade school or in a mentorship. But, but what is it that you do? What's your craft or your trade? Let me give you a list of those who taught me a craft and trade. Calvin Todd who I knew as pastor at Fayetteville ARP Church. He was known, and y'all know this, he preached here. He was known for his structured eloquence in the proclamation of the word, most notably through his quotations of hymns, etc. Mark Ross, who I knew as a seminary professor, known for his depth of scriptural knowledge, his intensity, and his zeal. Ten-ish African Methodist Episcopal ministers from the low country of South Carolina. Gullah proud is what they'd say. Uh, And and these, uh, uh, these brothers and sisters in the faith who I knew as classmates were known and are known for their depth of scriptural knowledge, their charisma in the pulpit, and their melodic flow in preaching. Sometimes they're even known to stomp a little bit. And even wave their hands. <laughs> if you can catch my drift. Uh, Brian Bolt. Who I knew as pastor at Greenwood ARP Church. And Fayetteville ARP Church. Known for his immense depth. Uh, immense depth of pastoral humility. And deep care. That the people would hear the word of God. Not only in his preaching. But in his personal interactions. He's still doing this. Over at First Press. Right now. On, on Bull Street and Marion. And then lastly, John Flavel. Y'all might not know him. A 17th century English Presbyterian ministry who ha- a minister who had an otherworldly grasp on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of God. He's also known for his highly structured main points, subpoints, and applications. If that rings a bell for you. Who did you learn your craft from? who'd you learn your trade from what were their weaknesses have you ever thought about that what are your weaknesses that's theirs that's theirs but God needed no lessons that's the point here Of what we see next in the Word. Of chapter 10 verse 6 through 12 into what we see in chapter 11. God didn't need a mentor. God doesn't need someone to teach Him. He goes about His work and has never once changed. He doesn't hone his skills after mistake for he makes no mistakes he has no weaknesses due to mentors peers or teachers he is perfect and he exhibits perfection and the real and lasting blessing to his people and this is seen full blast In verses 6 through 12. And he does it as he always does in the Old Testament Proverbs. With a slew, a string of I wills. Did you hear it when we were reading? I will strengthen, I will save, I will bring them back, I have compassion, I will answer them, I will whistle for them, and I will gather them in, I have redeemed them, I will bring them home, I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon, I will make them strong in the Lord. God's craft is reigning and ruling supreme in righteousness, justice, and mercy, and he does it perfectly. Perfectly, And beyond the pure beauty of these promises that we see one after another. One of the very good parts of the good news of Jesus Christ is revealed. And it's that God's work is not contingent on anyone but him. In other words... God is not sitting around waiting for you to open your heart to him. We, we accidentally mess up sometimes. I accepted Jesus into my heart. No, no, you didn't accept Jesus into your heart. Jesus took you. Jesus took you and held you tight and now he promises that he's not going to let you go. It's not really that bad. It's okay to say. It's just we got we to know that we got to know what the Lord is about because there is no contingency plan. God is not waiting around, hoping and wringing his hands, thinking, Lord, please, like I do sometimes, God, if you just let me do something, that'd be great. No, the Lord is working and he shows it here with a slew of promises to his people that are so abundant, that is so large, that it should leave us breathless, but because of our sin, we glide over it. The immensity of God's care and love for his people. We see it here in verses 6 through 12. It's a strong reminder of God's real and lasting care that begins with a call on our lives and it ends with a you are mine from God. Verse 12 of chapter 10, I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord powerful. God's lasting blessing, his genuine care, it goes far beyond the shakiness and the shoddiness of this world because don't you see the transition? It kind of happened a little bit in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 10 and then this transition happens in chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 from a focus on God's constancy and power to a revealing an illuminating of the world's inconsistent capability to provide. Through Zechariah, God is offering up a taunt song where he calls out powerful neighboring countries and he informs them of their demise. That's the trees getting cut down, right? It's the fire. That's the bemoaning in the wilderness, okay? That language is tough for us sometimes, but the reality remains it's a taunt song. God is saying, this is going to happen. Your demise is coming you will see it the destruction will flow but my people will remain because of look back here all these promises that I just gave to them it's that kind of moment that kind of in your face peace to the nations around and one of the reasons for such a taunt for such a call out is that it directly affected his children if you have children you know what I mean If you have close uh, family and friends, you know what I mean. If you're a part of a church, you know what I mean. If you're a part of this country, you know what I mean. And you'll see it. Because all around you, there is a constant pull to the point where you feel like your body's going to get ripped. As this world tugs and tugs and tugs and seeks to pull you. Maybe into misery. Maybe into sin. Maybe into some kind of idolatry. Or maybe all three. Maybe into addiction. That's where it always starts and ends, right? Instead of wrapping ourselves up with God and His promises, we look to strong countries or strong movements or strong philosophies or strong churches, even. Accidentally thinking that these things can provide long-term blessing and care. And they can't. Inconsistent capability to care. God is the only one who can give real and lasting care to his people. And so let me conclude with just one application. Taking into consideration... The entirety of chapter 10 in the first three verses of chapter 11 of your text. In light of these truths from the word of God. That that God is the one providing constant care. He's the true God over and against false gods. He's the true shepherd over and against false shepherds. He is the one who is providing lasting blessing over and against the false empty blessings of the world. Taking into accord all of these things. Where is your emphasis in life dear Christians? If we confess that we are Christians with our mouths on Sunday morning and then do nothing, why should you expect anything but discontentment? The Lord has provided us answer in his word, but are you familiar with his word? The Lord has given you unlimited access to his throne through prayer, but do you pray? these are hard truths and yet these are life survival skill truths and so I dare not back away from them we cannot be a a body of Christ a flock of God a church here that is miserable that is unbefitting of God himself who provides lasting care and blessing fathers Do you share the gospel with your children every day? No excuses. Mothers, do you share the gospel with your children every day? No excuses. We don't need to go to work. We need to go home first. Are you ones who are known to be followers of the Lord Jesus? And I'm not talking about a bumper sticker. I'll stick a bumper sticker up. (laughs) You know, are we ones who follow after God? Where are your emphases? What do you check when you wake up in the morning? It's the first thing you do. Why? It could be good. It could be bad. I don't know. You just have to tell me. (laughs) But God has given us a mind through illumination by the Lord Jesus' work on our behalf. That as we profess the name of Jesus, we are no longer bound by sin in the world, but free. And as we are given freedom by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wells up within us a new conscious mind. And as this new conscious mind flows in this world, we now have an awareness of false gods. An awareness of false shepherds. An awareness of false blessings that really provide us no good thing but only momentary pleasure that immediately dissipates. And as we are aware of these things, we have a high responsibility to share these things and to follow after God. Yes, it's a homecoming for these people. It's a homecoming for us. We're home. We're in the sanctuary. But how's your heart? Are you still not there? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this, for this word, for your real and lasting care. Uh, It's unlike anything this world can offer. And for this we praise you. God, please, please affect right change in us. It's not because we're horrendously evil that I ask this. I ask this because we are your children. And we are asking our Father for care. And you have told us time and time again. That you will answer. God thank you. In Jesus name. Amen.